Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 21, Game Designers Mind Control, as presented by Luke Crane and Jared Sorensen at Gen Con 2011, recorded by Jason Pitt. Finish is the like weirdest language. Like there's like a thousand letters. Look, this guy's already offended. He's just like fuck it. This is the Finnish language, panel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so everybody. Uh, wait, I gotta record this. We'll teach you all how to say no and finish. It's not yes. That's a good. That's a trick no, question. Yes. You almost got me. You almost got me. Yes is a different word. Okay. It's a, actually, a series of words. Okay. So this is what to- I, I I game with Toby Machanen. Uh, he's Skiart on RPGNet, if any of you know him, and he's a Finn. And ready? So this is how you say no in Finnish. You say no. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. So can can you guys do that? Can you say no for two? No. Ready? So on uh, on three. So one, two, three. No in Finnish. Go. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Now he's train. Now, should you teach him how to say yes? Oh, sorry. Right. Yes right. is more advanced. Yeah, yeah, yes is harder. Yes has uh, multiple syllables. So, uh, so okay. So wait, I, 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 I'll teach you. So yes is sorry. Yeah, yeah. And you gotta say like you're a pederast or something. That's true. So yeah, feet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Because you thought about it. You said yes. You thought about it. And you said yes. I'm a Finnish pederast. Ready? So all right. On three. Uh, how do you say yes in Finnish? One, two, three. Yeah. Perhaps the best audience we've ever had. Okay, uh, we have a technical request. Uh, since Gen Con likes to keep it real and keep seminars back in like 1978, when, like when we were all like four, or I'm dating myself, uh, <laughs> and does not like to give us any kind of audiovisual equipment, uh, unlike every other convention in the world right now, uh, does anybody have a laptop they'd be willing to let us put here and, and project our slides that way with? Uh, or. Or on a, also on a chair. Maybe would, would anyone like to stand here and be our laptop model? <laughs> Slide. Uh, I I have one. It's tiny, but I have one. Well, all right. How about how about the less size? Tiny. How do you use it? No, it's the size of the laptop. Okay. Okay. No, nobody brought their 17-inch the MacBook with them. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bring my 15 inch It's too heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Yeah, you, you're willing to, to sure. donate Sweet. an hour of battery time? Yeah. We will give you something. Okay, we'll give you... We'll, yeah. Jared, Jared will donate a parsley game to your cause, to the charity of your choice. <laughs> Would you donate one of your pretty books? Because <laughs> I need to pay for your hotel room. <laughs> Star screensaver, never. Hello, come on in. He's like disabled porn. Uh, you might. <laughs> you know, do you know Finnish? We, we've, we've had a little Finnish language lesson. Well, they can teach her. So, so teach her, teach her how to say. How do you say no? <laughs> no. And how do you, you say yes? Shake your head, kind of like yeah. 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 <laughs> the no also has a head shake with it, like, kind of like yeah. you can't believe somebody asked you that question. Like, nah. So, can you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're we we'll get this started. Else is gonna nah, just so it doesn't fall asleep. And oh yeah, no, no, dude, that's a very responsibility. Yeah. The only thing that falls asleep during our seminars are you people. Yeah. <laughs> so we were in Finland. Uh, we're not in Finland. We were in Denmark, and we met a group of Finns who had also come from very far to uh, go to this convention. And the, the the Danes are really kind of cold and like like distant remote and they're very serious kind of Aryan and they would they would all play the villains in like any kind of World War II movie uh, <laughs> so, if you know what I mean um, so the uh, uh, but the um, but the Finns are like they're a walking comedy troupe 
It's like the driest, riest, most hilarious comedy ever. And they, they're like they're filthy-minded drunks. <laughs> and they're all heavily armed. And, and dangerous. And I think and they all look like they're forty, but they're like twenty-three. <laughs> uh, also, did anyone know that there are more girl gamers in Finland than there are guy gamers? By a lot. By a lot. Like as in like they like Flip this like room. if you talk to a male Finnish gamer, they're like, please come to my country and game with me. <laughs> we're totally and we're in the journey. They're like, okay, we gotta do the fun. We did the math, and we're like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what the hell are we doing? Uh, no, no, no. I, that's not you. I'm talking to Dan. Okay. Are you George? You Swedish. Uh, right. Where's the? Hey, yo, can we offer a round of applause for the cool laptop writing person? Yeah, yeah. He, we're, we're totally gonna get a round. <laughs> I thought it was F, command F. <laughs> okay, we'll kind of make it big. I'm going to just kind of Yay. make it big. You won the internet. Oh my god, now you broke it. <laughs> that didn't work. Whoa. Do you want to view? And do view as uh, slides? Oh, it's in my OS 10.4 or something ancient. Slideshow. Bam! Oh, there. Oh, Shift Command F. Yeah, I, I have ten. Don't, don't you? Uh, does that not work? Oh, that's a play. So if you have eleven. We know somebody who wants to see you. Okay, I know you can't. You all can't. Whoa! Stopping. Stop. Okay. Uh, okay, so we just have to use the arrow keys, I guess, sure. That's fine. Okay, so this is really more for our benefit. I, I know you guys can't see this, and we, we normally have a, a large multimedia presentation. If you can't see it, that's all right. We'll try to, we'll, we'll try to keep the jokes. Bend it this way a bit? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's really just so, so we can kind of stay on time, on point, uh, and whatnot. Uh, if any of you have tickets, uh, we'll take them and, and laugh at Gen Con about them. Um, Gen Con can put those tickets towards you know Actually, slide projectors. If you guys see me, you can't. What? I know what your capacity. I can't let anybody use. Okay, well, all right. Watch that door. So. Everyone's um, Who here is designing a game? Who here wants to design games? Okay, rock and roll. Who here? Who here thinks that uh, that their mind cannot be controlled by Jared and I? Who here thinks that you are strong-willed? And, and, well, we got him to speak Finnish, so nobody. I guess we've already blown our wad. Oh wow, this is great, guys. This is thank you. Nice to we're totally going to run over in this panel. Let's do it. Ticket, please. No tickets. <laughs> no tickets. Awesome. All right. You know what I can get with these? Nothing. A room next year. No, they, thre- they threaten me every year. We won't give you a room unless you turn in your tickets. And, well, here we are, nine years later. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, so my name is Luke, and I'm Jared, and uh, we are the Sons of Cryos. <laughs> Nobody gets that obscure. Two right. uh, so, people get it. Uh, I design uh, role-playing games primarily, uh, tabletop role-playing games. I designed Burning Wheel, yeah. House Guard, uh, which some of you may have heard of. Uh, Jared has a bit of a deeper resume. I have a bigger resume, but that's okay. So I designed uh, a bunch of games, including Action, Action Castle, Castle, which we'll be playing uh, at three o'clock in E in Sir Laptop. That is for you. Thank you. That's your, your free gift for participating uh, in today's laptop. So welcome. More gifts, more prizes later. Uh, okay. Better one. So, uh, so can does anyone can anyone see that? What's that from? Anyone? Anybody? Game is on his mind control. That's us, oh, Luke and Jared. I knew I knew that. Yay! Um, so, <laughs> okay. what are what, what are games all about? Games are all about irrational behavior. We're going to get you using a game to do stuff you normally wouldn't do, or normally wouldn't even think of doing. Things that seem even counterintuitive to what you would normally do. Uh, games do this with a variety of things, uh, mechanisms. Wait, wait. What is a game? What's, what's a game again? Hold on. 
game. You're, you're ahead of me. Oh, well, you continue then. You go. Uh, so Take a, the reins away. Uh, so a game could be uh, loosely described as a system which uh, promotes irrational behavior in its users. Which A system uh, which... Uh, gets its its users to do things they would not otherwise do in uh, a normal setting. Did I just say that? But he, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sort, of. <laughs> sort of. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so right. So, so, and and that uh, underneath that, a system in, is what, Jared? So, system involves. So, a system involves three things, which are on the slide: uh, mechanisms, feedback, and rewards. Uh, you guys all know this game, Operation. So the um, the mechanism is the little tongs, and you're picking out little body parts from the from the patient. What's the feed? The feedback is pretty easy. So if you screw up, it lets you know right away. And the reward is the money you get for the different operations. And the harder the operation, the more money. Yay! So here's another uh, game that promotes irrational behavior. It's a very old game, right? One from the dawn of time. One that's we estimated has been done billions of times. Billions of times. Billions right. of times. How many how many races have been run in the history of uh, of humankind? Right. It's a, so this is a game. So uh, let's let we're gonna run. I think we have to. Well, that's why we have the the, the slides, so we don't have to do oh, this. God, it's you're like killing the comedy, my friend. I know. Uh, the comedy will come later. <laughs> we we have plenty. Of so time. all right. So right. So uh, so in a race. There's a starting line. You're running, right? So you have uh, red guys ahead of blue guy going around the track. Who, who wins? Red guys ahead of blue guy? Oh, yeah. Blue guy. Because the red guy takes a nap halfway through because he knew it was so far ahead. Okay, well, that's Aesop's version. <laughs> so uh, Knowing what we know in that uh, the red is pulled ahead and that they're now moving at the same rate of speed and blue can't really overtake them, how can blue win? Throw something at red. Cheat! Right. So... Uh, <laughs> So right. <laughs> He's already made it halfway there, and then boop, he gets to the other side before red. So so right, without a so if you say cross the finish line, mm-hmm. right, and this is the finish line, well Go. I've crossed it and now I've crossed it again and I've crossed it again, right? But that's no fun. That's it's and you know, the other guy's like, Well, I thought we had to run around the track. Well nobody said, we're just running. It's a race, cross the finish line, right? First cross the finish line. Uh but we, so this, this, this is an amazing process of design that right, has happened over billions of iterations where we have figured out as a world, a world culture, right? Races are run in every culture. Uh, we figured out that it's more fun to run at full tilt across a predetermined course without smacking each other in the face, without tripping each other, without any kind of chicanery, right? Run at full tilt and then cross the finish line or reach the end goal, uh, you know, be the first to cross the finish line. That those constraints, those utterly irrational, you know, calorie burning constraints, uh, we, uh, we have determined are, make the race more challenging uh, and, and more fun for everyone, both the spectators and the participants. Totally irrational behavior. The, the, the rational thing to do is just to you know push the guy down or or you know cross the cheat and cross the finish line or something like that. But uh, but the, right, the constraints uh, create the interesting parts of the game, and we call those constraints rules. And you can't have a, a race. You can't have a race where, um, you know, you do push people down, but that's part of the rules. It's part okay. of the agreed upon set of rules that you're using. Okay, so let's play a game. Uh, where should I go? I uh, out here. Okay. Go get in the middle. Right. You gotta, you're not gonna go. You're not. You're gonna put a barrier between you and the audience. Yes, I am. Okay. Because they look. Okay. Scary. We're, gonna, we're gonna play a very, very simple game, and the rules are that the first person to uh, shake. Uh, my lovely partner's hand uh, uh, will uh, win a shiny nickel. Nice to meet you. That was easy. What's your name? Doug. Doug, right. We've met Doug. Yep. How are you? Here's your nickel. Sweet. How do you feel? I feel good. You feel good? Okay. Simple. Got a, that nickel got a huge response out of the audience, huh? <laughs> I think some of you might have even looked up from your iPhones. Only for a second. There you go. So, all right. Let's, uh, so let's put that aside for a second. Let's put aside that little uh, that little uh, rules risk reward exercise and talk about a game that some of you might know: uh, the original uh, first person shooter, uh, Castle Wolfenstein. <laughs> yes, yes. 3D, 3D, 3D. Uh, we've got sorry, Castle Wolfenstein 3D because 
I mean, duh. It was totally 3D. That, that perspective, Caravaggio brought to life. <laughs> that was for that guy right there. <laughs> uh, okay, so, um, so right. So Castle Wolfenstein, the mechanisms of Castle Wolfenstein, uh, you have your monitor, your keyboard, and the keyboard, you interface with the game, your, uh, you have your arrow keys, your, uh, you have your shift for your strafing, you have your space bar for fire. Uh, pretty simple. Yeah, simple pretty, control pretty simple, but that's, so that's your interface. And, and you have everything on screen that you're witnessing. You have a little first-person view, you see your little hand holding something. Right. Yeah, yeah, your little status bar at the bottom. So it's like, even if you haven't played this game, you can imagine. It's the most basic kind of first-person shooter. It's a kind of first-person breed. It's a cool-ass game. Uh, and what else is there on screen besides your little hand and all your scores? Right. What's the first thing you see on screen in a first-person shooter or a castle on sign if you know what you're talking about? Nazis. Your environment, which is what? Walls. 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 So what is a wall? <laughs> What's a wall in Castle Wolfenstein? Right. 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 It's but it's more it's, it's constraint. It's feedback. The game is telling me something. Why can't I move this way? What is that? What the hell? If you're just playing Castle Wolfenstein, you're walking along a little. What's the name? Bart, right? Or something like that. If he's walking along, and all of a sudden you start walking in place, and you're not going anywhere, you'd be like, Oh shit! I have to write to these guys. There's a bug. Uh, look down. <laughs> so what they do is they, they don't look down yet. What they put uh, what they put in is a wall. If they don't want you to move somewhere, they have to put some kind of visual metaphor to let you know in advance before you even reach it that something is up there, and you can kind of guess what it does because we have walls in reality, so it kind of makes sense. Sorry, I'm manipulating the arrow keys. I'm moving backwards. I'm not moving anymore. Right. So what? I'm a person playing this game. What happens now? I turn around. I look. Right. And now what happens? Well, Find somewhere else to go. Find somewhere else to go. I'm learning. I'm a little. My little monkey brain is already getting the. You know, the game is already slipping its fingers into my brain. The game has already taught me uh, expected behavior. It expects me now to look at to, to navigate around walls. Right? It's already constraining my behavior. Walls don't actually exist. Yeah, they're just pixels. Um, so what happens later on once you've mastered that technique? Right. Go around walls, doors. Until. Right? It introduces secret doors. So, what it does is it teaches you don't bump into walls. And then it says, hey, remember what that, you know, what we said about not bumping into walls? Now you gotta bump into walls. So, so right. So, I I go from this, I go from from this, this, and I'm cool, I'm cool, to. It like completely, completely changes your behavior in the game uh, once they they introduce this new uh, piece of feedback, this new uh, this new interaction in the game. Your uh, and, you, and your monkey brain kicks into overdrive because those are hidden things. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, something just happened. We'll go get to that though. Uh, okay, so uh, but there's other types of feedback besides walls. So what's yeah? Someone else said it already. What, what do you got? Uh, what was Nazi. Nazis? <laughs> there they are. Right. So I'm walking down the hall. Right. Hi. Well, oh, this is a cool place. I guess <laughs> Castle Wolfen signs. Oh, hey, who's that guy? Art Lieben! <laughs> Ow! Whoa! My face is red! Whoa! What's going on? Space, space, space! Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> right? So that is, and actually, it, it is a, an immensely complex interaction which happens there. Uh, I see another, uh, you know, image on the screen. Hello. I uh, hear, I get, I get uh, auditory. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, and then not only do I get more auditory, and I get something, I think that those pixels are a gun. <laughs> Jesus, stop. <laughs> and, then, uh, I, and then the... Um, uh, and then I'm, I'm getting feedback on my status bar now. My little face is going, arr, arr, and the blood's running out of his nose. You get the, the, the bruised eye, whatever, and that gets into your brain. The, um, right? And then, uh, and then as Jared uh, so eloquently demonstrated, the, the entire interaction is topped off with a charity, with a reward, right? So, it, like, not, not only is it exciting to shoot a Nazi, uh, <laughs> which is just cool in its own right, like, I would have been totally fine shooting him uh, without any kind of reward. That's true. That is the its own reward. <laughs> Virtue is its own reward. But there's a, there's a, then there's a whole, this whole other circumstance which happens. So uh, I get bullets. All right, he pops up. I get bullets. You don't really get money. Um, 
uh, yeah, in the game. So, uh, hello? There you are. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, uh, sorry, get, uh, get bullets, and I, I, I knock them down. And then, so this, now I've learned something. I've learned a new behavior in the game. And now I know, every ah. time I see him, oh, I can strafe, pop, pop, pop. Right? So, dead. he gives me six bullets every time I shoot him, every time I shoot this dude. Right, so how do I win the game? Use less than six bullets. Use less than six bullets. Actually, I could probably use six bullets every time because I start with some, you know, I start with X ammo. So as long as I never exceed six bullets uh, on each Nazi, win! That sounds like the best game ever. Right? That's, I'm going to do that thousands of times, right, for ten levels. <laughs> right? That's great. No. No. <laughs> so these are, uh, right now we've described static parameters. We have walls that are never going to change, secret doors where the locations are never going to change, and an enemy that's never going to change, and a reward that's never going to change. Eventually, you're going to defeat this, at least in your own brain, right? You might not even want to finish the game because it's just boring. You do the same thing. There's no challenge. There's no... Uh, Dynamic set who, of parameters. Who here plays tic tac toe professionally? No. <laughs> really, like six of you play tic tac toe. No, I'm waiting for the Olympics. Uh, <laughs> uh, who here uh, knows how to solve tic tac toe? Pretty much everybody. See, oh wait, uh, more people that, that know how to solve it than play it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are like, I know how to do this. <laughs> right, that's telling. Right, it's telling about the game. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to mix it up. We're going to we're going to change the parameters so that they're no longer static. We're going to add new and interesting things and random rewards and permutations of the game. The mind control in Wolfenstein fails if you quit after level one, right? That's no fun for the game designers. It's no like so they need to find a way to uh, keep you engaged, keep you interested, and they do this uh, by introducing random rewards and different enemies. Right. Harder enemies, enemies with different tactics, enemies with different weaknesses. Random guns. Different guns, and right? And, of course, different weapons, different capabilities for the player, too, right? The, the, I mean, the, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a little bit of excitement and reward in each of those. Like, seeing a new enemy has, is it definitely has a quality of its Using own reward. Using a new gun is great. Using a new gun definitely has a, has a quality of its own reward. But the thing that makes us crazy is, like, little monkey, like, bashing each other's heads in crazy is the random rewards. Not knowing what's, what we're going to get uh, from this encounter. If you, but knowing we're going to, we might get something, but not knowing what it is. So if you knew the baseline, the low-level Nazis would only give you clips... You would only shoot them if you needed ammo, right? And you'd ignore them the rest of the time. But suddenly, it becomes a slot machine. I could shoot that guy. It's going to cost me like two bullets because he's weak, or three bullets. He could give me an extra guy. He could give me points. He could give me health. He could give me more ammo. You don't know, so you're going to kill everything. <laughs> so, right. And so now what we have is we start building a cycle of play in Wolfenstein where you are risking... Uh, your resources, you're risking your ammunition and your health for random rewards. Uh, and these random rewards are giving you uh, new capabilities. Uh, you know, it could be weaponry. But the weapons in Moldenstein aren't really random. They're either in a secure location or they're in a drop. Uh, you know, which is set by the designer. But you don't really know that. Uh, not, or we didn't know that back in, you know, 1991 or whatever. Uh, the... Um, so, so this cycle, so the, 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 the feedback that the game is giving you, the new information it's giving you, is driving you to play the game uh, in, a new, in new and different ways. It's changing your behavior, but it's keeping you engaged in the game. And right, so this is, uh, this is a cycle. This is a currency cycle, where you're spending your resources to, to further play the game. The game is giving you new resources, and, and uh, you go all the way through that. So let's talk about new, a new game with new resources. If you, yeah, if any of you are taking those currency cycle, that's like a legit game design term. So uh, <laughs> Most of these are legit. Oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so so we talked about uh, how uh, you know we theorized rather about how changing rewards can um, uh, can alter the the amount of uh, participation uh, in the game. So let's let's put this to the test. So we'll we'll play the game again. You guys know the rules. This time, uh, whoever shakes Jared's hand will uh, get a shiny quarter from uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. Three people. 1999 quarter, sir. All yours. What's your name? Eric. Eric, how do you feel? I feel ecstatic. I feel like, really? Are you, are you fucking with me, Eric? Ecstatic? It's a big emotion. It's a big quarter. It's a, so ecstasy. You feel ecstasy right yes. now. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, well, we'll see how you feel later. Eric's achievement. Three people go for the quarter. Two people really close to one person in the back. So we increased our, our participation by 300% in that exercise. We increased our investment in that by five. 
uh, it's not really a very good payoff, right? So something's going wrong with our little game. Something's not quite hitting right. Uh, but we changed the reward, but we didn't really change the challenge. We <laughs> changed the challenge, you know, but we increased the reward by five times, yeah. dude. I mean, come on, it's a quarter. Yeah. He could play, like, a video game at a gas station in, like, Peoria, Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> that, one, that one lonely copy of Galaga. Oh, God, I love that. I live for finding those. <laughs> yeah. oh. Order, oh, my God. What a sad life I have. Um, okay, so what are other small little rewards that uh, we have become accustomed to receiving? It's like, uh, not even pennies, because they're, they're worthless. <laughs> right? What are, a picture of a rose. Or you could get a picture of a daffodil. And if you get all the flowers, you get a beehive. What? <laughs> It's fun, <laughs> right? Like Zynga would say, it's fun. In fact, millions of people would say it's fun. Uh, millions of people spending hundreds of millions, if not a yeah. billion dollars, yeah, would say this is fun. Big company, right? And they, and we're talking there. The rewards they're getting are worth less than a nickel. Like they're worth, they're literally worth nothing. But people are investing in these things. They're, in fact, they're the investing cycle real is, money. Is reversed. People are paying Zynga for twenty five cents or fifty cents or whatever for. Uh, these small little perks, these, these small little rewards. What the hell is going on there? How do they do that? So the success of Farmville, one of them, isn't the fact that they're giving you cool things because we've just established they're just pictures and they're really worth nothing and people are paying real money for them. The difference between Zynga's uh, Farmville and other games is the rewards are coming at a constant and, and frenetic pace. They're small, but they're varied, so there's always something different, always something new. And the challenge, the, it's, it's you just click. You just click in every... Two, three clicks, you get something. You get a little couple points added to your score. You get a, a rose or a daffodil or a goldfish. Uh, if you collect a whole bunch of things, hey, cool, it taps into that kind of obsessive, compulsive, collective nature that we have. The reason why we play Magic the Gathering and the reason why we, you know, collect, you know, whatever your personal obsession is about collecting. Any, anyone for me, it was umbrellas for a while. <laughs> Facebook games, anyone cop to play in Facebook games? Even, has anyone ever played a Facebook game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, has, it, has anyone ever invested uh, financially in a Facebook game? This no. time. Just, just you. Well, well apparently, I'm the only one willing to admit. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, who's played Plants vs Zombies? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Who's finished the game and then kept going to do the achievements and try to unlock all of them? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we do, right? I did. I was like on the subway every day, going, "Oh, I just need one more gem, and I get that stupid achievement unlocked." There's other achievements you can get too. Yeah. And don't worry, sir. There, the, apparently, the hundreds of millions of people who play games like you uh, are—they're out there. You're not alone. <laughs> okay. Where are we? Okay. Even unlocked left the house. Uh, I do that every day almost. Okay. So, why? Okay, yeah. Why does this happen? What's happening? What's going on in my brain? Zynga are not game game developers. They are drug dealers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not being facetious. That is is what all game designers ultimately are, drug dealers. I need you to come help me on my farm, man. That's why I need you to come help me on my farm. Hey, man, I don't touch that stuff anymore. I'm off. (laughs) Maybe you should go to a meeting with me. (laughs) They have coffee. Uh, so right, well, uh, there is a your brain is the biggest drug dealer you know. Um, your brain should be arrested by the cops. Uh, it will be soon. Um, so so um, the the reason why uh, the the Zynga madness works, the reason why games work in general, is because when we are rewarded, when we have when something unexpected and pleasant happens to us, we get a shot of dopamine, and dopamine is. Uh, an opioid, uh, it's basically heroin uh, in our brains. And now the, the shot that we get is commensurate with the risk, the challenge, the, the, you know, the amount of the reward, whatever. So, like, these guys, it's not like Ed McMahon showed up with his giant check and was like, a million dollars, publishers, you know. No, they're, like, that would he, be he said he felt good. He said, he said <laughs> without unbidden, Doug said, sweet, right? Sweet's worth a nickel. Static is worth a quarter. (laughs) Over here, we show the fluidity of the English language and ecstasy is worth a quarter. (laughs) Eric's brain is like Huggy Bear. So it's a very, it's it's not a simple reaction. It's not like, uh, you know, you can you know, buy yourself that cup of latte at Starbucks every day for the rest of your life and get the same 
happiness you got the first time. You were like, wow, this is really good. This is what I want. Because uh, our brains crave new information, crave new experiences. Their brains want, want us to learn new things because learning new things enables you to survive like serotonin tiger attacks. So, yeah, so the reward that, that, that our brain uh, gives us, uh, you know, spikes early and tapers off slowly and then kind of rapidly. So where you're getting, this is why Wolfenstein with just one Nazi villain, you and a pistol and six bullets over and over again is not fun because it's, it's fun the first time and then the, the, without any new information or any new experience, the reward, the, the happiness, the thrill of it, which is a chemical reaction in your little monkey mechanic brain, uh, is, just, is dropping off rather rapidly and your brain's telling you to move the fuck on or find the guy with the chain gun. He's <laughs> interesting. So this, oh, this is a fun one. Imperfect information. Okay, so let, let's uh, let, let's talk about so other angles into that the monkey brain then, uh, and other ways to motivate players. So now that you know that basically as a game designer, uh, they're drug dealers and they talk about this shit. They in their like marketing meetings and their whatever, and they have like. They There's all sorts of interesting little uh, player, acronyms, player like, investments, player investments, ROIs, and K factors, and yeah, uh, viral coefficients. Oh man, to be a game designer right now, you basically have to be an economics major with a uh, you know marketing background. It's weird. Yeah, they, they want people who know Excel. Minor in biology. Sure, why not? <laughs> that can't help. So, or can't hurt. Okay, so imperfect information. Already <laughs> slip there. So um, many, many games. Uh, uh, use uh, imperfect information in order to keep the player guessing, in order to keep the player going. Uh, so imperfect information is basically when you there's a section uh, of the game uh, that you just you can't or don't know. Uh, what, the most classic uh, game of imperfect information. Anyone? Minesweeper. Clue. No, the, the most classic. Minesweeper is like widespread. Poker. Poker. <laughs> right, poker. Poker is the, the, a deck of cards is an amazing engine of information. Right? Uh, oh my God! If you if you really want to blow your mind, if you really want to have to read an article like two or three times, read about information theory, real information theory. Uh, and uh, so so a deck of cards contains uh, all this information. And, you know, when you lay it down there, it, and the, the, in, in information theory, the more cards you draw, the less information uh, there is in the deck. Yeah, yeah you're all you're all nodding, but uh, yeah, but the more knowledge you have, though, right? The more you know about the deck, the less information there is in it. Wow, I love it. Um, anyway, so so right, poker. You can't. You don't know what your, your opponent has in the hand in his hand, uh, or uh, you don't know what's in the deck. Uh, you can make guesses but you based can make, on what you have and what you've seen. Right. The elegance of poker is that you can begin to make educated guesses. The more experienced player you are, the more you're paying attention, uh, the more information you can make an educated guess at. Uh, Games like Magic the Gathering, one of the, the key abilities in Magic the Gathering is to take imperfect information and make it perfect. To basically minimize randomness, minimize the chance of drawing a card you don't want. And there's tons of cards in that game that, that are devoted to that purpose. So, so let's talk about a more modern game that uh, uses imperfect information, StarCraft. Uh, so what's the imperfect information in StarCraft? What your opponent's building. What's your, what your opponent's building, but they have a name for it in StarCraft. Log of War. Right? So for those of you who don't play StarCraft, StarCraft blanks, blacks out the screen outside of your kind of little unit view radius. This is a pretty commonplace mechanic at this point. StarCraft didn't invent it. They stole it from Doom. Doom 2. Doom 2. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, so but anyway, so, you know, and the more you can't see what your opponent's doing, right? And that's a giant weakness because StarCraft is a game. The StarCraft's design is to be move counter move. So if you cannot see what the, the the move that's coming, you can't counter it. So the 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 fog of war in StarCraft, the, uh, the imperfect information is a handicap. It's a huge handicap, and you have to dispel it. How, so what behavior do you have to undertake? Uh, in these games to just to uh, gain more information. Scout. Yeah, risk. Right? And yeah, you have to risk exactly. units. Exactly. Short-term risk, time. long-term reward. Uh, and you have you have to scout out. You have to send, what, what do you send? Who sends what? Drones, peons, your first marine. Right. Just in case. Right. And it's also equipment. something immediate. You can immediately send out a drone. So... <laughs> then and, and you begin dispelling the uh, uh, the, the imperfect information and getting uh, 
better information, but StarCraft is also very elegant. If you remember, in the very first version of Warcraft, you would dispel the fog of war, and that was it, right? It was you, then you could see the map. Uh, but they learned that that wasn't enough. That's, that basically allowed for cataclysm, for basically eight wizards just all going blizzard, 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 and anything that moved. Uh, oh, God, I hated playing that game. Um, so, uh, so they added another layer to the fog of war where you explore it, and then it grays out. So you know the terrain, you know the buildings that are there, the static things, but then uh, all the, the kind of moment-to-moment stuff, you can't see unless you have a live viewer uh, right there. And what happens uh, if you don't know what happens to, uh, with the enemy? Uh, rush. Right. If you don't know what's going on, you're not paying attention. If you're not exploring, you're just, you know, opening yourself up for abuse. Or like me, building a symmetrical base. <laughs> oh, I have to move that. I put it in the wrong place. I have to destroy it and rebuild it. Jared's. Let me tell you, Jared's very good at Starcraft. Um, I like the Protoss because they're yellow. <laughs> okay. It's true. They're like they look cool. I'm gonna play them. So, so imperfect information, right? All games have to have imperfect information to to function. No. No. Correct. Uh, what is the, the there, what is the ultimate game? It is a game of perfect information. Yes. Chess. Yes. Correct. Um, the. Uh, Courier checkers, but uh, chess is a little more classic. Uh, so in in chess, it is possible uh, to know all of the moves available to you and your opponent at any one time, right? So all the information is there. The only thing you don't know is what what move your opponent's going to make. Uh, now it's that's very very difficult. In fact, we have you know entire uh, you know machines dedicated to figuring out this logic. Uh, there's seat, there's another seat up here, and there's a seat up here. Uh, if you guys want to sit, okay. since we're playing musical chairs back there, <laughs> you're just we are right. chairs right in the front row. This is not the the act where we do the watermelon and the hammer. That's next. I'm the Gallagher Gallagher. Yes, the Gallagher role playing. So chess is a game of perfect information. So um, chess has obviously managed to maintain its fascination for quite a long time. Uh, you know, maintain its allure, uh, and it is so complex. There are so many options. There's so much information that it is almost impossible to make a perfect uh, decision, despite having all the information at your disposal. So you make your best guess, right? You make it. You, you choose your your move based on what you think the opponent's going to do and what you think uh, how you think the game's going to progress in the future. Right. right? You can't predict what's going to happen, but you can. You can make an educated guess. Right, so that's what chess is about. Yeah, making cho- uh, educated guesses uh, and making choices. Uh, another game of perfect information uh, uh, is one. Anyone? Uh, anyone play diplomacy? Yeah. Anyone hate? Anyone actually ruin a friendship with diplomacy? Well, it's one. That's pretty good. Uh, so, if you haven't, if you want to design games, if you're interested in game design, if you want to kind of have an insight into games, uh, play diplomacy. Try to play it live too. It's a much uh, more uh, visceral experience. Uh, it's one of the. It's. It just don't don't have any emotions about it. Just play the game. But that's the thing. That, that never happens. That's where so diplomacy is a game. Of, it's great powers Europe, and you're like you can see all the pieces on the board. You can know every move possible in diplomacy. You just don't know what your opponent's going to do. It's just like chess. Uh, and, but there's uh, there's multiple players, and you're allowed to conspire, uh, and you're in fact encouraged to conspire with one another. And the the complexity of maneuver in diplomacy is sublime. Uh, it, it, it's an amazing game. Uh, but it's uh, but despite the ability to know everything, you just can't. You can never make the perfect decision in that game. It's so elegant, and so wonderful. If you haven't played it, uh, absolutely play it. And yeah, try to just go in with an open mind and not so, want to kill your friends. So games, uh, we've decided that games can be have imperfect or perfect information. They can have random rewards or static rewards. Um, and all games need to be about choices, right? Like, you have to be able to make a meaningful decision or it's not a game. So games have interaction, feedback, currency cycle, and some form of information. Right? Must, right? Otherwise it's not a game? No. <laughs> no. Uh, so, so, meaningful decisions. <laughs> so what are the meaningful decisions in Candyland? None. What color you draw a card? Meaningful decision. Meaningful decision is a decision that the player makes that can affect the outcome of the game. Make the bridge. Who goes first? I think it's probably in the rules. That's the youngest youngest player. Youngest player goes first. Uh, So there are there there are no meaningful decisions in Candyland. Like the player, a choice. The player cannot make a choice in the game that affects the outcome of the game. The player can can 
activate the mechanisms of the game. Uh, Basically, a pure procedural game. Right. Uh, so, um, why do you play Candyland? What's going on in Candyland? It's the board. Not much going on. Colors. You draw a card. Move on to the next space. Uh, Lord Licorice is trying to take over. <laughs> so, okay. So, what are you doing there? What are you, you're, you're talking. You're like you're making up a story. Interesting. So, yeah. Why? Why? Why do we? Who plays Candyland? Children. 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 Right. Here does right. Except with maybe with their kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, very young children. Right. There's no competitive Candyland league down in uh, you know Ruby Twelve. <laughs> Next year. Oh, big guys. Beards like. <laughs> Two red spaces. So we get it. Candyland is a purely procedural exercise, but it, there's something else going on beneath the surface of Candyland. Uh, it's called an emergent property or emergent behavior, where the rules of Candyland tell you who goes first, what, you know, what turns to take, what happens when you land on what square, and how the game ends. Right? What Candyland doesn't tell you is why you play the game, why children play this game, and why children should play this game. And children play this game because it teaches them to play games. Right? It teaches the kids how to take turns, how to interact with pieces on the board, how to move pieces, how to pull cards, what the card means, all that stuff. It teaches kids you know, who goes first, who goes last, how to win, how to lose. It teaches kids that games have constraints and that you should follow them, and if you do, you'll have fun. Right. The... the at that level, for the, you know that level of development for kids, you know, like what four or five years old for Candyland, the the kind of you know uh, for most kids, like the tactical and uh, strategic uh, decisions of, of gameplay aren't that interesting. Uh, in fact, might even be upsetting. Uh, it's not that they it, they might begin to intuit that stuff at that point, but that, that comes a couple of years later, really. Uh, so gameplay is a different exercise for young kids. It's, it's an exercise of socialization and learning. Uh, where for us, it's it's almost the, like gameplay is something else. Gameplay is another ex- kind of expanded instinct. <laughs> so, <laughs> can, 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 so Monopoly can play games. Monopoly teaches you how to not play games. Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay. So yeah, this, this game teaches you to ignore the rules. So Jared, go so, for it. Uh, there's a space. What's what's that space? Next slide. Free park. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Free park. So what happens? Nothing. 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 Wait, whoa, 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 wait. Whoa, there's a rule. Let's figure out what the rule is. Nothing. 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 Monopoly, you don't, you don't have to pay anybody. Okay. It's just the one space on the board where nothing happens. Uh, right, it's free parking, and it's hilarious. Monopoly is this, it, like, there's this this cult of uh, house ruling with Monopoly for free parking. I, I do it too, and I hate Monopoly. Uh, and it, it took me. I basically had to start designing games to figure out why I hate Monopoly. And it's not. It's not because I'm a socialist or anything. Uh, it, it's because we were ruining the game. We're introducing an inflationary economy into the game, which is causing the game. Like so, because we're having like this pity party on free parking like oh here poor person or you know or uh, like you get all this money and then oh here rich person now you get all this money and uh, we're introducing all, all these resources into the game the game never intended to have and therefore the game is getting drawn out far beyond its uh, intended play cycle and uh, we all hate each other after like four hours of you know Baltic Avenue hotels and it's weird because the board is kind of telling you well, this, something happens when you land on this space, something happens when you land on this space. Every single space on the board, and there's a lot of spaces, but that one space, it seems weird to us that nothing would happen. So we kind of have invented, like as a culture in America, we've invented this mythological space. Free parking means you get all the money in the center of the table. Where's the rule that you put all the money in the center of the table? I don't know where that rule is either, but we do that too. So that's an emergent property weird. that actually, it seems like it's fun, it seems like it's great, but if you really examine it, it probably makes, that probably detracts from the gameplay experience. Definitely it affects the outcome. But it feels really good when you get all the money, right? Does it feel really good four hours that's later when you're still playing? That's, probably, that's that immediate uh, satisfaction in exchange for a long-term depression. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so right. So there's a, so our emergent properties are a, a complex and nuanced procedure and you often can't design for them, right? Like the, the guys... Ought, but they're called emergent. Yeah. Like, you know, the Candyland stuff, maybe they might have designed for that. The Monopoly thing, definitely not. And this next game... 
Uh, they like classic. They certainly play. did not design for this emergent property. Uh, take it away, here. So. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, it's clue. It's clue. Yeah, it's clue. Yeah. Are you new to this? Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, I got clue. So you guys have all played clue, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Um, what's your favorite piece to play? Does everybody? Does anybody have a favorite color of a favorite piece? Which yours? Mr. Plum. Yeah, Professor Plum. I like Colonel Mustard too. Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard. How about who likes Miss Scarlet? Uh, Mrs. Peacock. You guys know all the characters, right? <laughs> There's no characters in this game. <laughs> different color. They're different color. That's them. <laughs> a couple of them are missing, but the, the weapons have more personality than the, than the characters. They're just they're pawns. They're all pawns. They have different colors, but mm, whatever. Who who murders their like uh, their opponents in Clue? Who actually takes the weapons and is like <laughs> little yes. rope and ah. well, only. Three, four. Oh, come the on. game. So, the, yeah, that's the that's the classic one. Yeah. Uh, so the game doesn't say talk in an English accent if you're playing <laughs> Professor Plum. <laughs> Professor Plum. How do you talk when you are Professor Plum? No, I'm moving this way. <laughs> Why? I knew it too. I talk like Foghorn Leghorn when I'm the colonel. <laughs> I don't, the game doesn't tell me to do that. I don't get any special, like, Professor Plum isn't, like, doesn't get a plus two finding secret doors in the library, right? And the game doesn't say, hey, if you talk in a funny voice, you get an extra card at the end of the game to find out who killed Mr. Body. Why do we do this? Because we're crazy? Maybe. The game doesn't reward the behavior either. The game doesn't, you don't get extra points or, uh, or extra cards or anything in the game for that behavior. We just do it, and it makes the game better. And this is where games get really weird, and this is why Gen Con exists, is because of games like Clue. Believe That's it or true. not. So, D&D. Who's played D&D? The first role-playing game, right? There's no role-playing in D&D. There's no rule about talking in funny voices. There's no rule about creating cool stories. There's no rule about any kind of personality or characterization in D&D other than pick your race, Pick your class, pick your alignment, pick what type of weapon you're going to kill orcs with, and pick what spells you have if you're a, a wizard and you roll lucky. Because uh, I think a first level cleric doesn't actually get spells, which is really fair. But not. <laughs> he gets a mace and chainmail, though. That's true, but a mace is just as good as a sword. D6 damage. Oh, right, right. Mm. Flasks of oil. Don't I get a bonus against undead or something? <laughs> what edition are you playing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm myself. So, there's no role-playing in Dungeons & Dragons, but it became the role-playing game, right? It's, it's, the, it's the father of, of everything. So why? What happened in between Gary and, and uh, Dave sitting down at the table going, okay, I'm moving my piece two squares and there's a kobold you need a that's a thacko of 13 for a roll or stroke my beard done okay we killed him uh, eventually one of the guys went you kobold what is your name and, and Gary's like what are you doing <laughs> I didn't write that down let me check my notes and then they started role playing so why we have some theories so Paladin walks into a room Oh, God. That sounds like a joke. Or actually, I'm sorry. A good, a lawful fighter. Excuse me. Yes. Let's, let's, let's lawful fighting man. A, a lawful fighting man walks into a room. The room is full of goblin babies. <laughs> this happened. This really, in a game, really, really happened. Right? So what, what, what did the lawful fighting man do to the evil babies? <laughs> okay. He, he might have killed them. Or he walks away. Or he walks away. Set him what, player. what is the player doing right there? What is going on? There's a lightning storm in the player's brain at this point. <laughs> the player goes, ah. <laughs> what did you say? What's the ethical choice? Right. There you go. The player is cannot help it. We are human <laughs> beings. We are ethical and moral creatures, no matter how sociopathic we are uh, <laughs> in our gameplay. And that... that Saying that you obey laws, saying that there is evil in front of you, saying that evil are, are you know, or it's potential evil in the form of children, and, and setting that in front of pretty much nearly anyone it, uh, is going to trigger an ethical or moral decision in that person, and that breeds identification, right? You do enough of that, like so, some of you are thinking like. I would do this. Yeah, I would. You know, I would kill them because they're they're evil babies. They're going to probably be you know evil goblins. I would kill them. Some of you are thinking, you know, no. We would, you know, I would take one. And some of you are thinking, I would take one and raise it as my own. <laughs> <laughs> and some of us are like, that is not love. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> could raise it to be lawful. Yeah, well, maybe. It's possible. Nature versus nurture. Even picking your race in your class, like, okay, you're a fighter. You enter the dungeon. How are you behaving as a character in this world? You're a fighter. Like, going forward. You have a sword and a shield and some armor, and you're like, that's enough, follow me. Whatever, you know, how, whatever your alignment. Either you're like, we shall right the wrongs and save the innocents, or you're like, we shall slaughter everybody. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so if you're the thief, what are you doing? Because you're rewarded, right? So you don't have to do that. You don't have to skulk. You can just say, I backstab for three points extra damage or whatever. You don't have to, like, role play that I'm skulking in the shadows and I'm speaking like this and I'm kind of, you know, I'm eyeing my companion's purses. That's cool that you're doing that, but it doesn't do anything in the game. And all these, like, little expectations, you're like, well, how, okay, if I'm playing a thief, that's kind of a loaded term, right? You're not playing a pickpocket, you're not playing a burglar, you're not playing a rogue like you do now. You're playing a thief. That means you take your companions' purses as they're, like, counting loot. Right. Avatar identification is this supremely powerful force, and what we do it in Clue, we do it in role-playing games, and it's, the more... I might even do it in chess. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it makes horsey noises when they're playing Why? Gary Kasparov does. So, uh... <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> so... The more you can kind of get the player's vision through the eyes of the piece, the, the, whatever the piece may be, the more identification you can engender. Uh, I mean, how many of you recount tales of your Xbox game last night by saying, oh, and then the, the, the pixelated guy, you know, went into a room and shot some stormtroopers? How many of you say, oh, and then I burst into the room and I shot these stormtroopers and I got an extra life? The people sitting next right. to us when we're having lunch at Gen Con who aren't into what we do <laughs> must think we're all crazed murderers. <laughs> so then we burst into the cultist temple and, you know, of course I took up my flamethrower and I killed them all. And this woman, you know, sitting next to you going, flamethrowers are going to get the law. Killing those cultists. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. So, so scary. We're running short on time. So, th- th- this last slide uh, is actually really important to me, and I, I, I want to uh, yes. I, I want to run through it because I think I feel like it ties a bunch of this stuff together. It's like the last piece of the role-playing puzzle. Uh, so, all right. So, we have three games up here in the slides. One of them is Memoir 44. Have any of you heard of this? By Days of Wonder, designed by Richard Borg. So, for those of you who haven't heard of it, Memoir 44 is a uh, is a board game that combines two things, which. I never thought could or should be combined, and I think you'll agree with me, World War II and fun. If you haven't played it, again, it's a, it's a brilliant game. It's elegant. It's tactical. Uh, you play a full game in about 90 minutes. The full game is, is you play allies, and then you switch and you play Axis, or, or, or whatever, vice versa. Uh, so uh, then GURPS... Uh, you guys GURPS, GURPS right? World, World War II. Anyway, so GURPS is a, is a venerable, generic role-playing system, and they have setting books for every possible imagined or unimagined setting uh, historical or otherwise. Uh, uh, so, and then one of them is GURPS World War II. And then the third game that's on the slide is a game called The Great Ranks, which is a, a tiny little role-playing game about playing uh, Polish resistance fighters and children uh, in well, the Warsaw Uprising in 1944. Have any of you heard of The Great Ranks? Oh, wow. You've more wow. heard of The Great Ranks than Memoir 44. <laughs> it shows where I am. So, in, uh, so when you're playing Axis and Allies or you're playing... Um, uh, World War II. Now, I want you to, we're going to have a like, little honest moment. Have any of you, you know, been winning as the Axis, right? And had your tanks at Paris and said, no, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now, have any of you made German, bad German accents and like rolling, crushy tank noises as you, you know, ridden victorious of the Paris? <laughs> Okay, and like, and I think like I, I, I'm going to ask this, and this makes me a little nervous. Nazis, right? They're not cool. No, Nazis, right? Nazis, are, Nazis are not cool. Right? Okay, <laughs> they dress really cool. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. He needed to hear that, though. So, right. Like, like the. Have any of you taken that last piece in risk and said no? Commandant Fernand, he needs to go home to his love. <laughs> he will not fight. He cannot. 
cannot, he cannot stand, he will go through Chile and up through Latin America, whatever it takes to get home to, uh, to Spain. But, uh, like, right, no, we don't, the game does not, it's like the level of identification at that point, at that zoom out in these games, we're not making moral ethical decisions about that. And we're making horrible decisions. We're committing slaughter. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so in, in a role-playing game like GURPS, uh, you know, or just pretty much it's a, it's a very standard, traditional role-playing game. Uh, you know, you have your, you're, you're going to play heroes, you're going to play guys with tiny guns and, uh, you know, and, and have, like, personality quirks, and you're going to kick down doors. My guy, he always uh, makes sure he has a lit, uh, an unlit cigarette behind his ear to smoke after he kills a Nazi. Right. So, like, okay, <laughs> we're going to kill Nazis, and we're going to have fun doing it. Right? Are we really going to think about the atrocities going on behind all this? Are we really going to think about that we're committing war crimes too? No. <laughs> no. It, that even though we we stepped down into a, a level of identification where we can see through the characters' eyes, and they do have names, and they do have families, they do have backgrounds, but the the frame in the game just isn't that intimate, or you know, and the ethical and moral decisions in the game are very blocky. Very easy. Guys, Black and white. Yeah, guys in, in, in you know, basically uh, GURPS is Inglorious Bastards, like uh, you know, at its best. Uh, it's Inglorious Bastards. Um, <coughs> Ray Ranks, however, not so much. So it's as yeah. different as memoir as can be. So in, in Grey Ranks, um, you can't win. You cannot win the war. You cannot win the battle. Uh, you, you're 13 year olds and you have a gun that's probably not working and your sister's been taken prisoner. Right, you're doomed in this game and you know it to start and the gameplay is what, basically how you comport yourself uh, in these moments. Basically, what decisions do you make? What's more important to you? Which friends are more important to you? Which family is more important to you? Uh, you know, it's it not about there's no kicking in the door and gunning down Nazis and you know, and then lighting a cigarette and you know, throwing it down. It's about uh, finding a, a, a 8 year old kid in a Nazi uniform, asleep at his post, and you have a knife. Do you walk by, or do you, what do you do? It's in that kind of horrible decision. So, and there, so basically, up here we have kind of these high-level strategic tactical decisions. In, in the middle, we have you know kind of characterful comic booky level decisions. I mean, that's that's doing disservice to comic books, really. But uh, you just like these kind of very simple black and white moral decisions. Uh, that, but, but we also have a great degree of strategic resources and tactical, uh, tactical resources how many bullets we have how many grenades we have like lots and lots of weapons fetishism in the game uh, and then uh, in the final one we have none of that we only have moral and ethical decisions are there any uh, gun types in I doubt it ranks? I doubt it uh, I, I can't remember um uh, so you only have a game of, of moral and ethical decisions. Now they all have the same content. You're all, you're doing the same thing. You're fighting Nazis in all of the games. Even the same uh, time and place. Same. Yeah. You can. 1944 Poland. It's the same exact setting, yeah. but three incredibly different ways. Okay. To deal with the issue. Uh, all right. So we are going to we uh, are going to skip to the the end. We're going to skip our, our so summation. We just we're going to play over. one more game. All right. You guys familiar with this game? Great game. Okay. There's, there's no speed component to this game. Yeah, this, this game you can do from your chair. Honest. Yeah. Okay. So here are the rules of the dollar auction. What would you, how much would you spend to win a dollar? Okay. So, uh, so right. I will. Uh, so the rules of the dollar auction. Bidding increments. You can bid for this dollar. You can buy this dollar for me for ten cents. Ten cent. Uh, right. You can, uh, you can, hold on, hold on. You, you want to know the rules. You can, out, you can outbid the previous bidder and buy, you know, in a 10 cent increment. So if somebody bids 10 cents, you can bid 20 cents and buy the dollar for 20 cents. Going once, going twice, going three times, sold, you make 80 cents, right? But, but the second player, uh, the second, the person behind you has to pay and gets nothing. Okay? So All the right. top two bids have to pay, but only the high bidder gets the dollar. Okay. Got it? All right. So do I hear 10 cents for this? 10 cents. All right. 10, 10 cents. cents. 20 cents. 20 cents to Doug. 30 cents. Back with your hand raised in the rainbow shirt. Okay. Do I hear 40 cents? 40 cents. 40 cents. Uh, 50 cents. 50 cents. 50 cents? 50 cents. 60 cents. 60 cents. 70 cents. 70 cents. 80 cents. 80 90? 90 cents? A dollar. Dollar. One dollar. Dollar. Oh, you think you broke the game. Dollar ten. Dollar ten. Dollar ten. Dollar twenty. Dollar twenty. Dollar thirty. Dollar thirty? You're just going to keep your... You're betting against yourself now? Dollar thirty. Dollar... I'm betting against myself. You're dollar twenty No, no, you're dollar twenty. Yeah, do we hear dollar thirty? Dollar thirty. Dollar thirty. Dollar thirty. Dollar forty. Dollar forty. Dollar fifty. 
Dollar Are you guys just going to go back and forth? Dollar fifty. Dollar sixty. You both Yeah, yeah, yeah. You both have to pay. Dollar sixty. Dollar seventy. Dollar seventy. Is this going to go on forever and we get to retire? I don't know. This might be our moment. Finally, it happens. Dollar eighty. Dollar ninety. Dollar ninety in the plaid. Two dollars. Two dollars rainbow. Money on Two ten. Two ten. Two ten. Going once, twice. Two dollars to rainbow in the back, and a dollar ninety from the gentleman in the plaid shirt. That was for me. That's why I stopped it. No. Oh yeah, it was it was two, and we were. Yeah, we were asking for 210, nobody bid 210. So, so, so $2.90 and in too. Come on yep. up, gentlemen. All right, Electra Prizes. <laughs> so, so, how do you feel? I feel good. Can you break 100? <laughs> <laughs> no. You're paying. One. All right, there you go, sir. There's your dollar. Uh, so who here, when we walked into the room, we said, you're going to pay. Here you go, sir. Here's your change. But how do you feel? Uh, in control. In control. <laughs> so who here, when we walked in and said, you know what? You're going to give me, I'm going to give you a dollar and you're going to give me two dollars. And I just said that to you. Right? None of you would have done that. Some of you might have been, oh, well, all right, let me see what he's going to do. And I would have laughed at you. But, but you change the parameters of the game. You introduce uh, rewards and uh, unknown reward and imperfect information. And suddenly, the game becomes a lot more interesting. Thank you all for coming. And where are Jared and Luke? Booth 311. Booth come, come to Booth 311. Also, Jared's panel is right now. In number E. Action Castle, if you want to see how feedback works, he will show you hardcore. The fun you will have in Yeah, please do.